That's a good intro, isn't it? <laughs> it's a very good intro. Very smooth and relaxing. I'm glad you like it. Uh, so this is IOTA, the political podcast. Uh, I'm Thomas. Uh, I'm joined with our governmental guru, Carter. Say hello, Carter. Hi, I am a government major. Yeah, this is what I do, kind of, hopefully. <laughs> in the future, hopefully. Okay, hopefully in the and future. Uh, we're just going to kind of discuss political topics, the different sides on all the different issues, and sort of see where I fall on them, because unlike you, I don't really have a political spectrum that I know. I'm sort of questioning my ideology, so... <laughs> LGBTQ, you fall under the Q. Oh, yeah. So I basically need some I need some guidance. So hopefully Carter can help provide me with some. Hopefully. We'll, we'll, we'll get you somewhere. We'll find out. Yeah. I don't have to match you. I'm betting, I'm betting right now. I'm betting right now you're going to be a libertarian. That's just okay. my... Okay. So, our, so our, pre, our pre-podcast prediction is libertarian. Yeah. Libertarian, probably leaning left socially, but conservatively and like science very libertarian. Okay, I have no idea what that means. So we're gonna you're gonna have to explain that to me. But okay, so I'm thinking for this first episode, we should probably talk about something that's been a little more current to okay to uh today. I see you looking at that first one. That's yeah, gun control. Yeah. So. I'm right. thinking. So I guess we're going to talk about the shooter, right? Um, talk about shooting and then gun laws in general, I guess. Just sort of okay. talk about guns, the Second Amendment, and how how politically that affects both the left and the right. All right. As you say this, I'm actually getting out my Gov folder because we did talk about the the wording of the Second Amendment in my Gov class. Preface my professor, um, Professor Tulis, is. I think he leans slightly to the left. Right? He's definitely against Trump. He wrote, he actually wrote an op-ed where um, trying to get the electors to um, throw the election to the House of Representatives oh, wow. by just he only needed twenty-seven people. Yeah, he actually and he, he actually started a movement and then uh, did a whole speech and all. I, yeah, I don't know. We, we can definitely on another episode come back to the electoral college and whether or not it's good or bad for democracy, but. Actually, um, that was in my readings for this week. We could do that right now, or we could do shooting, whatever. It's you know whatever what? You want, I feel man. like I feel like Electoral College is is speaking a little louder, and then we can go back to gun control. Okay. Yeah. Let me get my uh, Gov textbook okay. out, though. <laughs> okay. Um, so, no. I am ready. So, just just like a pref a preference for all the people that don't know in the U.S. that we have an Electoral College. So even though even though everybody votes for who they want to be president. It's actually representatives of each state based on their population. Chosen by the yeah, states. Yeah, it's chosen by the states. And the amount of votes each state gets is the amount of seats in Congress it has. Yeah, Senate plus House right. of Representatives. So each state has three votes minimum. Okay. No, no matter how right. many people it has. So. So um, do you want me to just give a preface to the arguments for both for and against yeah, electoral college? Just what's what's the problem with the electoral college, and then where do people fall normally on that? So lots of the readings that I have for Gov are from like before 1980, right? And so before then, I think there were only there were one or two cases, no more than two cases, in which the electoral college um, went against the popular vote, and those 
happened like 1800 and, and one other time, right? It doesn't really matter. The point is it didn't happen often before then. But like since 2000, it's happened twice out of what, like four elections, right? So 50% of the time it's gone against the popular vote. So there's a lot of questions about whether the Electoral College is actually beneficial towards the United States and its um, election of president. So there, I, I actually fall on the side of keeping the Electoral College because I think there's a very compelling argument that we'll get to that kind of sheds light on the whole federalism issue and the aspect of uh, democracy on a state and national level. But So first starting off with the main arguments against the Electoral College. So people generally generally don't like it because just it, it feels innately wrong that someone like Hillary Clinton can win the popular vote by a margin of like how many yeah, with three million right or something like it, it was a pretty wide margin nationwide and yet she still lost the electoral vote by a large amount it, it wasn't it wasn't a, a landslide in modern history as Trump likes to say but it, it, it was a pretty decent margin that Trump won the electoral college over Hillary Clinton and so there's like I think the simplest opinion to have on this issue is that the electoral college should match the popular vote. Like that's just a simple common sense. Like yeah, it should just do that because presidents should be elected popularly on a national. Um, right, the majority of people uh, should like have a national the majority scale. of say in government. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And so like oh, if a majority of people want this, then they should just be able to get that. However, it's kind of a very naive view of how the U.S. democracy works because. There are specific institutions created by the Founding Fathers that were intentionally established to avoid mob rule, which effectively is what these people are advocating for. They're like, oh, it needs to match the majority will in order to um, just achieve what the majority wants, right? But there are very crucial things established by um, the U.S. Constitution and just how the system works and how it's begun to work that kind of stop that. So one of the best arguments that I found on the side favoring the Electoral College is, well, first, the... um, implementation of it. If we were to go and abolish electoral college and just have state-by-state voting contribute to a national vote, and then that would uh, select... So most likely what happened here is um, the redesign of the system would get rid of the electoral college. It would say, okay, of all the candidates, if someone reaches 40%, then you just instantly get... um, selected as president. But if no one gets 40%, then we go to a runoff election. The reason why it's 40 and not 51% is because when you have, when you get rid of the Electoral College, it's a lot easier for uh, third parties and minorities to try and run and get seats because, say, Bernie Sanders and um, Jill Stein could probably get a couple million votes nationwide, but they could probably never have gotten like a full state. So it's easier for them to get their, their, their message out there when you get rid of the Electoral College, right? So so th- that's an argument that I can find. I'm generally in favor more of um, diversity of parties because I feel like it... But this is a whole other debate of whether the yeah. two-party system is, inev- uh, is inherently good. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's so much you can talk so about. I, government's amazing. Yeah, I so I was got, looking through... I even got side... The times yeah. that the winner of the popular vote, so whoever got above 50%, but then actually lost and did not become president has been six times so far which is like a 10% failure rate that the person that gets the most amount of votes doesn't actually win. Yeah. Which is, I don't know, in any game, if I'm doing 10%, that's that's not good. If I'm, you know, if 9 out of 10 times it's going to succeed. Yeah, yeah. 9 out of 10 times that you should win that right. um, the 10th the, the time you don't win even though you should. Yeah, th- th- this is an argument um, popularized by people like... Um, C- uh, who, who, what is it? What is it? What is it? Like, I want to say CGI, but that's not his name. CGP Grey. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So th- th- that's an argument popularized by him. But the problem with it is that um, 
he's not properly fra- phrasing what the terms of winning is. So when we talk about democracy and what whether or not this is actually d- democratic to have this, we need to understand that, sure, on a national scale, it might not be purely democratic, but it's democratic on a state scale. So let me find okay, the exact just, passage. Okay, just for the, the filling time while you're looking for that. So if we think about this in the sense that this is a... A point in where federalism, that the states have the power in choosing the president as opposed to the uh, collection of people. So it actually gives each individual state more of a, a say. More of a say, yeah. And, and it's kind of interesting because it, it's a mix of the Senate and the House of Representatives in the balance of the power of the state based on population. So like, there's an argument to me that it shouldn't be just how many people you have in a state determines the power and the influence of a state, right? So, um, however, I found I found the article. It's from Martin Diamond, who's an author. Uh, it's a book published, The Electoral College and the American Idea of Democracy in 1977. So the passage is... So um, the gravamen of the undemocratic ind- indictment of the Electoral College rests on the possibility that because votes are aggregated within the states by the general ticket system in which the winner takes all, a loser in the national popular vote may nonetheless become president by winning a majority of the electoral votes of the states. It suffices to reformulate the issue and get it on its proper footing. In fact, presidential elections are already just about as democratic as they can be. We already have one man, one vote. But in the states, elections are freely and democratically contested as elections can be, but in the states. Victory always goes democratically to the winner of the raw popular vote, but in the states. The label given to the proposed reform, direct popular election, is a misnomer. The elections have already become as direct, directly popular as they can be, but in the states. Despite all their democratic rhetoric, the reformers do not propose to make our presidential elections more directly democratic. They only propose to make them more directly national by entirely removing the states from the electoral process. Democracy is thus thus is not the question regarding the electoral college. Federalism is. Should our presidential elections remain in part federally democratic, or should we make them completely nationally democratic? So this is, I, I personally, like, this is a very compelling argument to me because it simplifies the debate not between democracy and less democracy yeah, but national democracy and, and um, more statewide uh, democracy along those points that yeah. even whenever you have to win each of the states and if we took the states out you then don't have to actually campaign in each state and try and win each state you can just focus on larger populations and still win uh, the after the elect- 20, 2016 election there was that chart that was going around that was like 50% of the population lives in the red and it's all the urban centers. And um, you can just see geographically that there's so much of a tight cluster in urban settings that it would leave 50% of the population of the United States completely out of the... Yeah, and, and that's a big problem that we talk about in GovClass. Like, it, it would effectively just make all of the laws and people that are elected um, based upon... So, like uh, urban cities, yeah. Um, additionally, one other problem with it is that if you have just based off the popular vote, then people would have standing to bring up court cases in every single state asking for a recount. Because if you get a hundred thousand votes in like Maine, and then another hundred thousand in like another state, and then another state, like that could actually throw an election. Um, so it leads to nationwide recounts. That like we saw what happened in Florida in the uh, Al Gore yeah, Bush that election. That was one state where the recount was working. Very contested. end of the um, inauguration, like that was. It it, it yeah. took an immense amount of time for just one state, and like, 
unless you have someone that wins by a margin of 10%, which rarely ever happens, there's going to be nationwide oh, yeah. recounts that are going and to be I feel like, like Florida, with but 50 times worse. The Electoral College, it um, um, has a twofold problem where, well, maybe not the system's broken, but the fact that the people that vote actually ha- have a chance to change who they vote for, they're not obligated by federal law to do it. Some states do have them obligated that they have to vote the way the state voted, but um, other states just let them vote whichever way, which all history we've seen people vote the way the state has voted, but there's still that possibility of them deviating. And does that compromise the democracy of the system or? So, yeah, we we can talk about that. Um, so when electors are bound state like with regards to the state that they say the state says hey electors you're you're sworn to this to support this candidate you have to go do it and then say the elector goes and then doesn't do it we had um three electors actually one of my gov teacher con- directly convinced one <laughs> that to vote for um Rand Paul instead of Trump in in Texas or it didn't throw the election but it um still it had the possibility if he got a couple more people to do it but if those electors violate the state constitution, the state laws, they can only be punished in the state. And there's there's a doubt as to whether the ballot that they cast that was against who they swore they would cast a ballot for would actually be illegal. Because in in the eyes of the national constitution and the national vote tallying, that's a perfectly perfectly legitimate vote. It would only be the states that cared. And so like the question is, well, can the states actually force their electors to act a certain way? And that's... That's probably okay. going to and go to so, the Supreme Court in the coming years if we keep the Electoral um, College system. I guess where I fall on this, I definitely see the Electoral College as you now have to win – you have to win states. So it sort of takes the eyes off of – from a national level. You have to focus more on, on a, a local scale almost, which brings, brings big government down to uh, more people. But I definitely – there's just something about the fact that like we might have a democratic process and pick somebody, but there's – there's this underlying system that could still uh, overthrow that democratic pr- process, which I definitely. But well, I mean, to to that, I would say like the the underlying system is the democratic process, right? Like it's as democratic as Martin Diamond said. Um, but so her argument goes on to say that the analogy is in, in the House of Representatives, like overall seats, you. You can have the Democratic Party, for instance, win the most votes cast in um, House elections, yet still have a vast minority of seats in the House. So if you say that we ought to fix the Electoral College system, then do we also have to redistrict and just make national districts for the House of Representatives? Because that's the exact same argument. And arguably, the House of Representatives is much more important than the yeah, presidency. Yeah, because the House of Representatives actually like, sponsors budget propositions and has to agree with the Senate. Like, so. I mean, this also then falls under the gerrymandering and and should we have an independent third party that actually draws uh, voting districts instead of having a bipartisan group which tries to gerrymander systems into winning seats. But, yeah, I definitely – I don't know where falling under the – I think the electoral system is fine. Like, I mean, I know a a 10 percent failure rate of not picking the person who got – the popular who won the popular vote isn't like great, but it also fo- uh, has the candidates focus more on a local level, which I mean, government should be at, or at least I believe government should be more on that local scale and really care about what the people on those individual settings should should uh, 
what their uh, needs are. And so I definitely think the Electoral College is a good thing. Like I think it it um, is one of those things of federalism that just the U.S. does because it's so big and it needs to have federalism. It's not a smaller country like uh, uh, some other uh, countries over in Europe and stuff where they can basically just have direct democracy of each person gets votes and stuff, direct democracy into their uh, legislative branch. Yep. Right. Right. So there's there's no separation of power there. Because they're and so all I feel like the only way to keep that, that separation power. of power is to have the Electoral College. The only thing about it is I just – I'm not – I don't like that, uh, that uh, kingpin in there where it's basically like – they should vote the same way, and some states do have them vote the same way. But the fact that it's it's still up and up in smoke as to like which way it actually falls. Like, do they have to follow the state's laws, or can they vote whichever way they want? So, I feel like that's just the only thing about it that I'm that's that's a little uh, anxious for me. Yeah. Okay, so now that we sort of covered yeah, in, in, in a no, side-around way the, the Court to uh, Electoral College and just sort of how some people see it as undermining democracy, I feel like we should get back to this issue about gun control, especially with uh, some of the stuff that's been happening, especially in Las Vegas and just uh, what a lot of people have been seeing around the U.S. with just local, uh, not terrorist attack, but domestic shootings that have been happening and – Gun control, where where do we stand right now on gun control, and what are, like, where the two sides want to push gun control, either increase it or deregulate it? So, yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I just okay. almost got a heart attack. I thought that I didn't turn in my essay, but it was my first essay that I was looking through my gut folder. So, yeah, there we go. Everything is fine. <laughs> Back to the, the question of gun control. So the, the vast majority of guns that he had were modified or altered in ways that are currently legal under the laws. And he just – what he did, had he been following all the laws, couldn't have been done. So the, the question of whether or not gun control and – like, and he had no psychological background. He had no criminal background. There was no reason he, – he, he didn't have any um, – any signs of being radicalized? He had, he had like literally no indications that his family had no idea. So the question is, how can the government possibly know that someone would do this if the family themselves didn't know? And so the question is, then if okay, we were yeah. to enact he more had a laws or change stock, laws, which made it what would we do to go about trying to rapid fire stop as people to from just being able to do regular, this? Uh, and I guess it was a single shot or something. I'm, I'm not up to my AR-15 rifles, but, uh, yeah, so, um, is this a problem of, should we, uh, so, make yeah. automatic weapons illegal? Should we make modifications to automatic weapons illegal? Like, where, where does this then fall onto the political? Okay. So then, do does should we most automatic uh, make are illegal like, modifications actually, to guns that Google make them this, so. automatic illegal, or is this more of just a thing where it's one guy just we have no idea why he did it, but it's not actually as big of a problem as we think. 
So <laughs> let me kind of introduce a meme to this podcast. There was a meme where it was like people from Britain saying, oh, U.S., why don't you just have more gun laws? And even um, Pierce Morgan came on U.S. talk shows and he's like, yeah, we should just basically ban all guns to stop. And this was after the Sandy Hook shooting. And people from people from European countries that have very limited, and especially Australia, that have gun buyback, gun buyback programs, that have very limited gun violence, they like to say that, oh, why don't you guys just get rid of guns and you won't have things like this happen? However, um, there was a comprehensive study that went over, like, it was a study of studies, basically. And I can find it and try to, I guess, uh, give it a link in the description afterwards. But what this study found is that guns were indeterminate towards violence in the country. So, like, immediately after guns were made illegal or made legal, there would be a spike in gun deaths that's pretty consistent across all almost every country. However, in like after a year, there is no influence whatsoever, positively or negatively, of gun violence on overall deaths in society. So, overall violent deaths in society. So, for yeah, instance, we might have 59 people die to a shooter, um, and then, and then in, in uh, Europe, they have 20 people that get run over by a bus on, on a bridge. Other countries that like, affect it, their um, criminal rate involving weapons like is it just something because they have better institutions that there's less overall violence or is it more of just uh that we have way more people and so we just have more of these things happening uh just for like so you said that in these um specifically western european countries they have uh so can you repeat violent the question crimes just to make sure they are have much lower than they normally are in the u.s and most – well, yeah, but most of these gun violent crimes are because there just aren't guns in a lot of those countries. So, or, a gun, gun, gun violent crimes is, is what I meant. Right, right. You get all the people that – stabbings and uh, people yeah. driving cars and And then I said that in exchange for that, they have and people so that go about terrorist means. And so does just mean that um, through different, through in different, the sense like, that um, stabbings and, these yeah. violent crimes happen – because our institutions just put a focus on instead, like guns are the the answer, and that's how we basically fight. And then other other institutions, because they don't have guns, force um, these these kinds of people to have to turn to alternative means, or do guns. Yeah. That's basically the argument. And then the argument that you extrapolate on that is why do we prefer to have our violence happen through guns as opposed to cars? And there, there's an actual constitutional argument. If we look at the Second Amendment, let me get up the Second Amendment so we have it contextually and um, verbatim. So it, it's prefaced by saying a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So th there are two contemporary uh, interpretations of the or of, of this amendment. One is saying that only in a well-regulated militia should, in a, a well-regulated militia that's necessary to the security of a free state, right? So the, the, the biggest argument here is that the reason why we want our people to have guns is so the government does not become right, tyrannical. Right. It's basically and this is actually an argument that Ben Shapiro made against Piers Morgan. That like, yes, that is why we have guns so that the government doesn't become overbearing on us. And then, yeah. 
Yeah, protect right. individual rights and, and like that have a comes down in, to in, like the, in the Declaration of Independence actually it declares that treasure, like, people have the right the to overthrow their government if it is not serving and protecting their yeah, rights. I, but I understand like, the, that the is premise of where yeah. if the government isn't yeah. serving the people's needs, then obviously we should replace <laughs> that kind of government with one that more suits the yeah. population. Yeah. And so since that ideology was uh, espoused in the Declaration of Independence, it was then transformed into the Constitution through the means of the Second Amendment, saying that um, – and, and th there are these founding fathers that many of them didn't like mm -hmm. the idea of a standing, standing army because they would just – Yes, yes. Especially in times of peace. The standing army would just uh, – it would provide another avenue for the government to infringe the rights of the populace. And that also happened right after the We're French and Indian like War. Jefferson, for you example. started to have more military the occupation of the American would be bad, colonies. And, it would, and people it would kind were of getting really fed up with the fact that Britain if, if, was, you know, was bearing in on their – what they considered their uh, you know, free will. So. Right, right. And then you get like the Fourth Amendment of – wait, for, Fourth Amendment is um, quartering of troops, right? Yeah. So the, the the two contemporary interpretations is one that only in like a, a militia of the people, like a bunch of Minutemen, should be able to have weapons. And the, the reason that's implicitly in this Second Amendment is that the reason why they'd have weapons is Wildlife to be able to stuff, overthrow yeah. the U.S. government. So then the question is, do we need to allow people, like the NRA, the NRA will say, oh, we want our people to be able to hunt and to shoot uh, like deer and go out and do whatever they want, right? But, like the, the founders didn't care. Like the founders don't actually care whether or not you're able to hunt. Mm -hmm. They care whether or not you're able to assert your rights that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness ought to be ensured by government and whether or not you can forcefully act upon and, and, um, and gain those rights. Like it, the Second Amendment was not made to go hunting; um, it was it was made to stop government o being overbearing. So there's there's two interpretations. One is if you interpret where it's a bunch of Minutemen that should be able to rise up at any point in time if right, the government becomes overbearing and go and overthrow the government. Well, then obviously the, 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 the weapons that the they military. ought to be able to have ought yeah. to be able to overthrow the government. So then we're talking about really high powerful weapons like missile launchers in in people's. Yes, military caliber weapons, because they they would be part of a well regulated militia. So the whole question is, well, what does regulated mean? How do you balance regulated and shall not be infringed? Aren't those inherently contradictory? And okay. then the the answer is like so, we we really don't know. And so we've kind of got yeah, this so down the, this the middle question ground. Really is, that neither we're allowed to have guns, but how dangerous or like how lethal of these weapons the are we allowed to have? So, and how much does that contribute yeah, it, to a well it, it's weird. main or well regulated militia without? infringing on personal rights yes yes mm -hmm. and, and right. so people generally say like the the contemporary interpretation that would say like oh only in an army and you don't actually need this to protect because the government's never going to be overbearing right going right back to Piers Morgan for the third time where you just get rid of guns because the government's never going to be that bad um I mean you'd have to make an argument that there's something that's extraneously different about our modern times that would lead a government never to be overbearing and never uh, in, uh, infringe on the rights 
And so people like Ben Shapiro and like other conservative uh, uh, conservative podcasters or, or people in the conservative movement have been saying, like, we're already like kind of edging towards the position in which an armed rebellion might be justified. And like this kind of sounds really extreme, right? But here goes the logic. So they say, I think it was actually in California, where it says that parents can no longer um, it, it this oh <laughs> we can kind of talk about uh, LGBT issues now, where parents can no longer go and have their child even counseled about being gay. Like it, like if they go to get counseled because the parents think it's that because the parents think that their children are gay, they think that that's probably so not good for them in the long run. The right? A decision, is, a decision uh, made by the parents. Itself that, over that, that is reason enough and, to have the child I mean, compensated and wavering away from gun services. control and going towards other issues in the the social realm. But just to like just to like nudge it back towards gun control, where do you fall on yeah. this sort of gun control? How much should we regulate versus how much should not be infringed? So to kind of go back to that and tie it in, the reason why I say that is because for lots of con- for all conservatives, there's a line in the sand where if the government were to pass this line, then armed rebellion would be justified and we ought to overthrow the government. And specifically in states like Texas is where like the the revolutionary front would probably start up. And for many people that line is if they took away my if they take away my kids and they raise my kids for me in some institution, that's too far. I'm not letting them take my children. So for for many people that the necessity of having arms is very prudent in even these times that are so peaceful and the, even yeah, so democratic. Chemical. So going back to the question of regulation and how much ought to be regulated, do I think that you you um, should be able to hold a nuke? No. Um, n- probably not weapons of mass destruction. Probably not like gases. Do I think you should be able to – yeah, bi- biological chemical, like anything into Geneva, Geneva Convention? No. Do I think that you should be able to hold like THAAD anti-missile launching stations? Yeah. Yeah. Do I think that there should be something like a clause where if you use these and you don't successfully overthrow the government that you should be penalized? Probably. If you use them and there's not like a very justifiable reason, should you be penalized? Yes. But I think that the means for which the people – the means by which the people can overthrow the government ought not to be taken t- taken away. So the, the well-regulated militia would spring up organically if the need – was what was proven yeah justifiable like the the militia would spring up and the question is in right now society if say trump said okay we're going to take away everyone's children and educate them ourselves the government's going to indoctrinate yeah. them could society could the people overthrow the government and then, then you have to bring up other questions like would the troops with american troops national guard actually fire on u.s citizens that were trying to just assert their rights and like I, I can't speak for everyone in the military, but I know that I, I know that a, a pretty decent amount of people wouldn't actually yeah. support a an oppressive regime. Right? I but there's still like some the that would follow the military for, the a, for a good reason. It's, so to, it's to protect. It, it's a complicated question, but there's a very an, definitive uh, reason in America uh, why we want our rights government. to own a but gun. The, and the way other, I just um, look at it measures. is when I look at it and I see people that are trying to get uh, like even more extreme weapons than. Um, automatic uh, rifles they're trying to get you know like uh, surface to air missiles or like um, missile launchers and stuff I'm just like 
is is there a like should we implement something to make sure these people that are getting not not the you know base handgun or a rifle but some of these more powerful weapons should we implement sort of a either background check or mental health check or something just sort of a way to make sure that like the people that are getting these are um, at least the on the more extreme end that are at least getting them for Right, right. Like with with the more um, destructive of the weapons, is there a way to sort of draw a line in the sand versus how much should we look into the person before so you don't we shoot down like a, a uh, have, get these kinds of weapons? Like where does that fall, at least on the conservative side and just in politics in general? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So again, this is a very nuanced approach, right? So like this level of argument rarely ever happens in the public sphere because people just want to say like, oh, I want to go hunt with my guns or, oh, you shouldn't be able to shoot people, right? So it, this is a very nuanced argument that it rarely, rarely gets this far down the rabbit hole. But I, I do think that when you get up to surface-to-air missiles, right. yeah, those are would need those kinds of weapons if, you were, if there was a justifiable, that has justifiable reason to overthrow, to overthrow the, government. the government. You would definitely those would be necessary need weapons of that like, caliber in order to, to uh, Otherwise, you just get calm to, into oblivion. Right, like, yeah, you need those. Yeah. So, because of that, that means that there has to be legal means for the common citizen to obtain those weapons if they had the desire and if they had the money. And then the question is, then, do you just want? Yeah. How, how low do you want the bar to be? And I actually think that. Automatic weapons should probably not be restricted excessively, but everything above that, like um, bazooka launchers, for for instance, and, and okay. like tanks, should probably require specialized licenses that say, like, I'm not insane, okay. I have relatively secure mental foundations, and I'm not going to just shoot down a 747, right? But, but, but it shouldn't be – it should just be like, are you mentally sound? Yes, then you can have this. Um I don't think any more than that. Um, Maybe even like, oh, are you mentally was, sound and do you have liabilities yeah, was, that yeah, would I think make it less likely for you? Because this, this guy, how, how, how many yeah, Las Vegas the, shooter? Do, like, do we know how much like his net worth was? Really? Yeah, I feel like I feel like this Las Vegas shooting right now, we just don't know anything about it. Wow. It's like he didn't fit so any of the that, stereotypes that kind of my argument, but or like any of the precedents that, that were set likely. earlier. I, I think generally people that have more money are, are less likely to probably right, like, do he radical didn't even things. Have, right? He didn't even have like parking tickets on his on his criminal record. So like we – like with – with um, right, he was 64. Like there's, no, there's just no baseline just for no it idea. that – I don't know if this is just an, a statistical anomaly or – if this is, um, you know, and it was so old, like, defining of a larger issue, but um, just just for like my two cents on the issue, um, I definitely think the the right to own a gun. I mean, it's I, it's fundamental to the way that the U.S. has come up. Like, it's been our entire history has been people that basically can defend for themselves and built this this country. So, I'm definitely like we should definitely keep guns around, and they're good. Uh, my only problem with guns is once you start getting into the um, uh, these uh, missile launchers and even automatic weapons, like you're starting to get to the point where one person can cause so much damage that 
um, in, uh, with so little that you, you might need to start uh, having the government step in just for uh, safety of the people reason of like we need to protect the general populace from something like this. Right, right. Where's the line between just like owning a gun and I I would feel better if people that owned this kind of weapon were actually like I knew a little bit about them and that they and weren't so the just going to like where go you draw and that line shoot up some place. Between, so, yeah. Yeah, so. Okay. Yeah, and but then, not government officials and not the military. I think are distinctions that would justify that. Like because because we look at the, the demographics of who would, or or maybe even in the military, but probably not government employees. Or maybe yeah. no, maybe you don't need that. So, maybe just like anyone that I feel like has a just like that just wants to be this, able to uh, do that. Thirty six like, minutes. So I, uh, I think we we can throw in uh, one last very topic. Very mental health and like that, is stable uh, in there. So, uh, and just, what they just would to do finish they this do out, like that. and then we can maybe do something a little at the end. But um, just just a little question that I have for you is where you fall on border or on sanctuary cities. So, if you could just give a little background as to like what a sanctuary city is and like what's the whole argument. Ooh, fun. Yeah, for sure. Sanctuary cities are basically any city that refuses to cooperate with the national level of letting the national government, the federal government, know that these people are here legally, that they are, what they might have a criminal background, they might not have a uh, criminal background, but they're here legally, and um, the city doesn't want to contribute with uh, state or or national authorities and arresting and and confiscating. And so this debate, again, has more intricacies that aren't really explained, one of which is the question of does the the state actually have to give just information on where the people are and whether or not they have criminal records, or does the state have to um, actually assist in the arresting uh, arresting these? And so I'm going to fall on the, the side of the the issue where the state just has the state only has to tell the government that these people are here legally that they have criminal records right that just like give the information but it's up to the national government the ICE agents to actually come in and arrest these people I don't think that it's um, justifiable for the national government to force the states to act to arrest people that would be arrested on a national yeah, level right and th- this is actually a Supreme yeah, Court case where like, the lines of the power national are government drawn. can't force states to um, execute national laws because there's the difference right as we referenced back in when we we're talking about we're talking about the electoral college there's the issue of federalism and like who should be able to do what and yeah and so I, I think that I, I think right, that right. sanctuary cities go a step too far in that they say, so we're going to take a political stance because uh, immigration is inherently – it's in the constitution as a national issue. It's the national government's duty to maintain the, uh, the borders of our country. And when you have sanctuary cities that intentionally – and I, I would say borderline dis- destruction or disrupt disruption of justice when they intentionally withhold information that is necessary for the national government of executing its – immigration policy, I think that, that that is a step too far. I wouldn't make the sanctuary city's own police officers go and arrest people because then you... So m- uh, many of the people that are, are... So most of the people, the the, the arguments against 
um, there are the arguments in favor of sanctuary cities, rather, that mm-hmm. say th- that uh, uh, okay. immigrant then, populations wouldn't um, call the police. How do you they feel about the, the federal them. government that argument's starting to just saying, like, Yes, the police are going to know uh, that like, you're here illegally, but the state police aren't going to arrest you. The city police aren't going to arrest you. It's only if ICE comes and arrests you. And then you don't have to think problems. So, yeah. On sanctuary cities and harboring of illegal immigrants. So this is another constitutional question of whether the government can compel action by withholding, um, by w- withholding money. And I, th- there was a bright line of, I'm trying to find the article, but the, uh, mm-hmm. I, I debated this, or I helped someone research for debating this a while ago last year, and it was basically that I think it was around seventy percent that the federal government could withdraw up to seventy percent of national funding. Otherwise, it is considered coercion, and that's illegal under the Constitution. But the government can basically with- withdraw and withhold 30% of national funding to states, localities, to anything. right? And specifically when talking about – I think it was um, Greg Abbott's, right? So here at the Texas State Capitol up in Austin, Greg, Greg Abbott – or no, yeah, Greg Abbott, the governor, um, signed the bill that said that the state government can withhold funding to, towards sanctuary cities. So – there's a question of can they withhold money in general or does it have to be specifically related to immigration services? So there are different bills that have been proposed that say we ought to, the national government or even state governments ought to be able to withhold money to cities only within only with regards to which the issue that they have. For instance, if if the state governments didn't like the idea of sanctuary cities, could they withhold money from all aspects of government life? Or yes, could they only withhold money from like Department of Justice and Immigration Services of the states? And then when you have other yeah, precedents so of... The, oh, yeah. So I don't remember which states, but there were certain yeah, states so in 1973, the drinking age up to, up to 21. 21. I think it was Louisiana, actually. And, um, they didn't want to remove the drinking age up to 21 because they wanted to keep getting money off of these state, people that were drinking below 21. And then the federal government cut off, cut off funding to their, the uh, highways. Basically, uh, any state that tried to uh, oppose that uh, kind of uh, ran out of funding quickly, so... Would that just be because of the uh, and they, they favoring conservatism the in the, I think if the Supreme Court, Court or is that, that just more of a sign of the times that people the are probably thinking has that to be with regards to the aspect uh, money that the issue withheld is. should be Otherwise, more you can in actually line with the so. uh, purpose that it's being withheld from? Or So, like, that issue isn't inherently political, I don't think. It's just more constitutional of whether or not the government has the ability to withhold money to the state infrastructure if they don't like the idea that the states have a higher or a lower drinking age. Like, and I don't really think it's political. I just think that's, like, what does the Constitution say? Like, what would be better for society? 
Um, is it good that the government can withhold funding towards anything to try and coerce action? And I, I think no. I think that on the federal level that the states should be able to kind of operate however okay. they want within their domains so, and within uh, regards just, to specific like issues. Because then we get more it, federal and we get more diverse in the issues. Politically like inclined like, federal and then like there are more uh, degrees me, of stratification if, if of like the political discourse of society. If we make it, the government has to be relevant to about illegal what it's trying like to they, achieve. They know that there's legal immigrants in there. I feel like that, like, you, you can't actively withhold that information. But uh, is the question of sanctuary cities that people are not asking the question of whether or not they're um, illegal immigrants? Or is it just, some, like, should they go around and try and determine who is an illegal immigrant? Or is it more of just, like, if you uh, commit a crime, do you then, like, so uh, where where in sanctuary cities does the the line be, like, we're rounding up illegal immigrants versus... You committed a crime. Now we must ask you about your illegal or your um, status in the United States. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. So I think that anytime someone's arrested, they should be asked if they're a citizen. Just like whenever. If you're detained... The, the, the state government to know if you're a citizen. And if the state government okay. detains someone that is clearly not a citizen, right, has no files on, on hand, then I think that, that they should probably release that information to the federal government. And then if the federal government wants to come and collect that person, then that is completely within the realm of the, like, then I, I think okay, that so is a good cooperation you, the, between the city, state, and federal governments. The, the, the question that I think okay, is so, kind of like so dancing on the edges of is, are we trying to get the states to, to go and round up people that aren't here legally? And this. my answer is no. So if, if it <laughs> the states just shouldn't, the process, if they the shouldn't states be able are to withhold something that information from the, the process, process, because immigration is a national government issue. And so the national government has ICE to go around and do the job. They're basically not going to divert state-level resources to these issues because it's not a state issue. Okay, I think I can actually. I th I think I actually um, I I have a very similar opinion to yours. I definitely think that like if through the process, like you should definitely determine whether or not, especially in a criminal sense, if somebody is an illegal immigrant. Like definitely, uh, I feel Correct. like the states have an so obligation to. Uh, I'm sorry. Right, I feel like the states have an obligation that they have to report that. But I also feel like um, the state does not have the uh, power to rule on immigration so therefore it should not also you need um, to know be burdened rights. with the task of like, like, immigration yeah. and instead that should definitely be a federal government um, process and um, workload so i think i actually fall quite similar to you in where sanctuary cities land on the political spectrum and then um, I'm just realizing this now, but uh, whenever we opened up, we didn't even say anything about us. So um, like like where we're from, what we're doing. So like uh, I'll let you go first. So just uh, say a little bit about you and like. Okay, uh, I'm uh, Carter Adams, yeah. I've lived in 10 different places all around the U.S. It's pretty fun. 
yeah, moving is fun. And I was in debate for four years in high school, and now I'm a government major. Hopefully a government econ in, in psych, or, I don't know, government econ. I, I don't know. Government stuff. Yeah, that's a goal. Uh, very interested in politics. I, th- I think politics is kind of, like, important, right? <laughs> Whereas a lot of people have political apathy, and, like, I, I think that's negative towards the the fundamental goals of democracy in our country. So that's kind of my goal, to be more politically savvy, and just yeah. to know with regards to so, issues so I can make informed uh, decisions was, when it comes really to elections. So and whether or not the Electoral College is actually good or bad, or gun control. Or all I, totally I just think it's good to be able to intellectually like respond to someone of, when they say something like, oh, we should get rid of the Electoral College because it's not popular. It's actually the most democratic we have. either don't know about an issue or they don't care enough about it, and that is definitely what leads to a lot of the problems in the world. And so... Just any way that people can become more informed and even just have an opinion. Like, I I know so far we haven't agreed too much on some of these issues, but uh, the fact that we can have the discussion and sort of see where where we align and where we differ, it's definitely a really good way to um, make progress and sort of see... I, I almost want to say bipartisan, even though I have no idea where I fall on the political spectrum, but... Uh, so far, um, I don't know if like from this first idea, does so far my opinions on the Electoral College, gun control, and sanctuary cities, do these mirror a libertarian? Do these follow more under a some other political system like or ideology or? I mean, it's kind of hard because when you say, like, oh, someone's a certain political party, then, like, you can infer out of that, like, oh, if you're a Democrat, you're probably in favor of abortion. You probably are uh, anti-guns, right, in favor of gun control, um, a bunch of other things. But it's hard to say, like, oh, well, we have three points here. We know your opinion on gun control. We know your opinion about sanctuary cities, and we know your opinion about the Electoral College. It's hard to extrapolate from that up to what your political affiliation would be. So I feel like when we get on later, it'll be a lot easier. But this definitely does seem, especially on gun control and sanctuary cities, okay. that you're more of a libertarian so, on those yeah, aspects. Just a electoral college, me. I don't think electoral I'm college is inherently political. Uh, um, I'm it's just like, a Mechie yeah, student It's one of those few UT, topics, like, oh, and so you can actually have a reason to debate I without have no real background it, so. in government. Yeah. I, on gun control and sanctuary I mean, cities, I watch the news and I sort of know um, what's happening in the world, but to me, government has always just been something where, like, you just see it on the news and they talk about an issue, and I'm really interested in trying to figure out, like, well, what are the different opinions and differing sides and where, where I fall under because um, where I grew up, it was sort of like you, you basically, everybody was the exact same in their political beliefs. And now I'm in college and I'm starting to formulate my own ideas. And so becoming informed on these topics and having my own opinions and um, being able to vote and decide for myself what I want in in the society around me, I feel is is really important to to be informed. And so, I'm. Um, thanks, Carter, for at least helping me get through some of these political issues. I know we have a a nice long list of, uh, oh yeah, political topics. And uh, yeah, I definitely think there'll be uh, a a next episode in store with some more political topics. So stay tuned. Okay. Adios, Carter. And more will come. More will come.
Sounds good. See you, Thomas. <laughs>